welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Robbie Martin. And this is Abby Martin. Welcome. So how's every, everybody been doing? Everyone's been doing great. Charles <laughs> Krauthammer's dead. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no, everyone's doing great. It's It's been crazy. I just got in a really bad car accident. My car was totaled, but I'm trying to look on the bright side. You know, healthy, happy, alive. So yeah. When, when things like that happen, it kind of gives you a new lease on life, I guess, in a weird way. But Yeah, I've never, the only time I had a car accident remotely like the one that you described is when I went to that um, railroad museum, like near, in between like Sacramento and Martinez. It was like out in the middle of nowhere. I was driving down the road, um, frontage road, trying to find it. And it was already dark and I was like, oh, it's probably closed now. Like, let's just see where the fuck it is. We were driving down this frontage road, and then with no warning whatsoever, there was a giant bar- wooden barricade in the middle of the road that said road end. <laughs> and I fucking slammed into it like 30 miles per hour. It was one of the scariest things oh I've ever God. experienced. Luckily, there wasn't like a, the road actually like kept going after that. And it was just like, oh, wow. we, we kind of just like spun out into the dirt, but yeah. It was Did fucking- your car explode like plastic confetti like mine? No, no. Um, that sounded terrifying what happened to you though. I'm so glad that yeah. no one got hurt. Yeah. I guess I, I didn't realize that Priuses were made out of just like styrofoam and, and plastic. It was really interesting. Yeah, it's the days of making like a metal frame car I guess are over and they're just like pla- like plexiglass mm-hmm. shells. Yeah, it's weird it's shit. I don't really intense. understand if that's safer or more dangerous for the passenger. I mean, I guess... If you're hitting someone with that, it'd probably be safer for the person you're hitting, but is it protecting you more? I don't really understand if it's just a cheap if it's cheaper to manufacture them that like why the why the fuck they're like made out of styrofoam and plexiglass now. Yeah, it was super weird. Well, a lot going on, a lot going on. You know, we talked about Charles Krathammer in the last episode, but um he he passed away and it's just funny how people again just try to reinvent the history of who these people were. I mean, this is a this is a, a staunch neocon who sowed the seeds for the Iraq War. I mean, and not just yeah. So th- it's like we can get pretty, you know. There's there's an overgeneralizing sometimes when people talk about the Iraq War architects or the the propagandist. Charles Krauthammer was an Iraq War architect, meaning even before the Bush administration, he was formulating plans to invade Iraq. He was also in the Bush administration, working with George W. Bush, and he also put out propaganda in all the like mainstream media publications trying to get us to go to Iraq. So he had a special role that actually most neocons didn't have all three of those roles. That's unusual. Even Robert Good Kagan point. and Bill Kristol weren't in the Bush administration. Good point. So they only really had fit two out of three of those roles. Krauthammer had a very special place where he all bases. He was so when people say that he was an architect of and he actually like planted the seeds for the Iraq war, I mean, he was instrumental in several aspects of it. Well, that's what's so funny about people being upset at obituaries citing this, like in the Washington Post saying, you know, he's a fundamental Iraq war propagandist and people are actually upset about it and being like, This is cheap. Well, really? it great. It, it's a cheap shot to talk about how he was a literal architect for a criminal invasion of a country that killed over a million people. Why is that a cheap shot? 
Well, it's so great because Washington Post is owned by Jeff Bezos. It's, you know, they hired Podesta, John Brennan right for them. They're a total establishment piece of shit outlet. But yet whoever wrote this obituary was able to put this in the opening pair. I think actually I would almost make the argument that they did this kind of as a little bit of a fuck you to Crowdhammer, even though it's totally factually accurate. The opening paragraph of the obituary says, Charles Crowdhammer, a Pulitzer Prize winning Washington Post columnist, an intellectual provocateur who championed the muscular foreign policy of neoconservatism that helped lay the ideological groundwork for the 2003 U.S.-led invasion of Iraq, died June 21st at 68. Actually, now that I'm reading it again, that's actually not, that's not really not that harsh at all. It's right. just, it's kind of almost like something Jamie Kerchick would write or something, maybe. That's what's so babyish about these, these people who are like, that's too far. Yeah. Nope. Too far to talk about a, a completely provable reality and crimes that this guy was involved in too far. Yeah. And, uh, and someone, you know, right after he died, sort of reminded me of how disgusting he was about Palestinians. I mean, he was writing, this is what he wrote in 2014 after Gaza had just killed 2,300 Palestinians after Israel killed or sorry. Yeah. Yes. After okay, Israel had okay. killed 2,300 Palestinians and he's actually criticizing the IDF. So at first when you're thinking, Oh, he's criticizing the IDF. You're like, that's cool that he's like consistent. Like he's, right. you know, he's not scared <laughs> to criticize the IDF, but actually here's what he said to deliberately wage war so that your own people can be telegenically killed is indeed oh, moral and tactical insanity. My. God. He's mad that the IDF for killing the Palestinians telegenically that looks good on TV so the world uh, will feel sorry for them. He oh says, Oh my God. It, it's fueled by a mix of classic anti Semitism, near total historical ignorance, and reflective sympathy for the ostensible third world underdog. These eruptions featuring Palestinian casualties ultimately undermine support for Israel's legitimacy and right to self defense. He's not mad that the people are dying. He's not mad that Israel's using too much of excessive force. He's mad that Israel is making it too easy for Palestinians to look good dying on television for their I cause. I can't even fathom being that psychotic of a person. Yeah. It's, it's beyond comprehension. And this is in 2014. So I even feel like neocons since 2014, it's been four years, ha like have stopped talking that way about Israel. Like they don't even talk that way about Israel anymore because they know it looks bad it, only four years later, like the world opinion has shifted a little bit, I feel like, but maybe I'm, I mean, I'm wrong. About that. No, no, you're you totally right. I mean, you can see that just with the lack, not, not necessarily the people who are criticizing Israel and our government, because we know that's next to none. But I think that what's really telling is the lack of support vocalized by politicians. Um, whereas before, during the 2014 war, you would have seen many politicians making statements, defending Israel's right to exist. I mean, the only person who's doing that in the administration is Nikki Haley and like these psychotic people who are surrounding Trump. I, normal like congressmen and senators, I think, understand that it's it's far too toxic to stand behind and give like a full throated endorsement at this point. Yeah, to Netanyahu Because they especially. see where it's going. Yeah, they see where where public opinion is, is going. Yeah, no, you're totally, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, that's why I think that, you know, just 2014, it was a little easier to talk this way about Palestinians because I feel like even that, that war, the Gaza, you know, the war against Gaza, basically the bombing campaign turned the tide a little bit even more. Remember even that CNN reporter 
tweeted right after she filmed those Israelis sitting on the yep. lawn chairs, the settlers watching the bombings. She was like, this was, I was absolutely disgusted. And then she deleted her tweet. And then she like got taken out of covering exactly. that, the West Bank or something. So yeah. that was one example, I think, of what you're talking about. That even I, But I do think that that was a, marked a turning point. Each one of these incidents marks a little bit more of a shift, I think. It's incremental, yeah. but it's definitely yeah. having a negative effect on Israelis' ability to get sympathy for what they're doing. Yeah, um, absolutely. And did you just see that? Let's move on because we're going to get into Palestine a little bit later. After our last podcast, I heard a guy from a suicide uh, prevention organization on Democracy Now. It was an it was an interesting interview. I I wish that it actually went a lot farther because the guy, you know, he's talking about Anthony Bourdain, and he's and he basically said that suicides are going up in America, but they're going down in other developed countries now. Again, this is a, another unique phenomenon, just like the mass shooting epidemic, just like all these things that factor in with being a, a nation of empire babies that it really makes you think. And unfortunately, Amy Goodman didn't follow up with him and prod him about why he thought that was so unique to this country. But I found that really disturbing. Yeah, I wonder if anyone's um, tried to find a correlation yeah. to that. I mean, I'm looking at something on the New York Times right now from 2016. It says, suicide in the United States has surged to the highest levels in nearly 30 years. That's insane. Um, so that statistic we keep hearing about, that's specifically American, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, yeah, I'm wondering what the hell. There's been a sharp increase in suicide among 35 to 64-year-olds. Wow, it's disturbing. And then another one of those other disturbing statistics that like baby boomers, you know, were able to make 20% more than millennials um, and they were able to save twice as more. I mean, this is the economy. This is like the plan. Um, it's designed to have these booms and busts whenever there's a bust, just like the 2008 financial collapse. The, the 1% and all the top corporations just seize and siphon all of the wealth that's generated from the recovery, and it's about to happen again. I mean, we're in a huge bubble right now, whether it be the student debt bubble. Um, it's really, really scary to think of what's going to come. And every time I read Chris Hedges' columns, uh, I, I, I find myself in a really pessimistic <laughs> uh, mood because I just read this one column that he wrote called The Coming Collapse that was just like laid out how it's just any day now the whole the whole economy is going to collapse and and what are we going to do about it when, once the country goes to shit it might seem hyperbolic but like that is ultimately going to happen um i don't that, think it's hyperbolic at all and i think that anybody who lives near any major city right now can see the real life consequences of this happening in real time like there is a major homelessness problem mm -hmm happening that's like exploding in an exponential rate all over the bay area right now and i and and where you live too mm -hmm. i mean i don't know if you've seen pictures or video of anaheim abby but in poorer areas of anaheim right now there are homeless encampments like i have never seen before in my entire life that look like entire communities cities that people are driving through just tent cities that go on that appear to go on for a mile in anaheim oh my god like, no one's talking about this kind of shit. I mean, so all you have to do is see this this real life, like, effect to, to understand that the economy 
is really squeezing people and that the wealth gap is growing even more. It's, it's really, uh, it's, it's actually really disturbing, like how exponentially it's going up. Yeah. And it, and it's on such a rapid pace that every year it widens drastically. And you, you mentioned homelessness. I mean, being in LA, we are ground zero for homelessness where, I mean, the amount of homeless families that that's how you really know, um, you know, it's not just drugs. It's not just people who are living in the streets their whole lives. It's actually families who have lost their homes. Yeah. And that amount of people has skyrocketed coming into these shelters and stuff. And Skid Row, I think, is a unique feature of of the epidemic because it has a lot to do with addiction. And it, there's no rooting out um, the mental illness problem and, and actual care and preventative care for people who are addicted to to crack or, or opioids or whatever that are living in Skid Row. But But just the sheer size of Skid Row now. Um, as someone who, oh who frequents downtown, I mean, it is it is pushed so far out because of the the building and development within downtown proper that now it is literally like thirty whole blocks. Jesus um, Christ! It it is it is absolutely horrifying. Do you know um, of Wyatt Sinek? I think his name is the guy from the Daily Show. No. So he has like one of the only good political shows on TV right now. Um, and it's on HBO actually it's called and it's I haven't watched enough episodes to know so if, if there's actual bad episodes of his show then I'm probably going to regret saying this because I haven't seen all of them but it, it's actually it's called Wyatt's and Axe Problem Areas and it's more um, it's definitely more like socialist leaning and much more focused on like social issues in the United States than like the other political shit like oh, John cool. Oliver show yeah like a class analysis yeah. of things and he yeah. goes to skid row and like talks to a lot of homeless people like on location and and does interviews with them goes through all the different things about like why just being homeless um by default like makes you you know things you wouldn't even think of as as uh like someone who has who lives in a home or who's you know employed is like where do you go to the bathroom if you're homeless and like live on a tent in the street it's illegal to publicly urinate you know anywhere so where do you do it? You have to like go find like a store that'll let you use their bathroom if you don't want to break the law or you have to like sneak and then a cops, you know, cite homeless people all the time for public urination. So yeah. And how do you shower to get a job? Oh my God. There's, mean, there's so many, so many, yeah, there's so yeah. many complicated factors to it that, it, I mean, and he goes through all of them and I thought it was actually a really done, oh, wow. well done I'll segment. Check it out. Um, so he's one of the only good people who's, I guess, daily show alums who's actually like done something doing something positive right now. Wow. That's great. I'll, I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Um, another tragic story, Antoine Rose, 17 year old honor student, cute as hell kid, um, got killed running away from the cops at a, at a routine traffic stop, shot three times in the back dead. Look, black teens have a very good reason to run. I just, I just was driving the other day past a Latino kid, just strolling on the street and cops fucking, jump out of their car and handcuff him against the side of the wall. And my friend was telling me, he's like, oh yeah, he's like, this is, they do this all the time to kids here. He's like, they just do it. They round you up. They see if you have drugs on you. They see if you have markers on you to like cite you for, yeah. for tagging and stuff. He was like, this is, he was like, this shit happens to me all the time or it used to when I was like younger. And so of course you're going to run. Um, you're, you're a kid. You're not thinking. So for people who are like, well, he shouldn't have run. 
Please. I guess the only new thing that I have to add to just these the this trend of just extrajudicial assassination of black teens by cops. Oh, one other thing about this guy that was different is that the cop who killed him was literally sworn in on the force minutes, like an hour before he murdered this kid. Did you know that? No. Yeah, Officer Michael Rosfeld was fired in January from the University of Pittsburgh Police Department because he was repeatedly violent and falsified reports. So my first question is, how the hell did he get hired again immediately? This guy was sworn in at another department and he murdered Rose three hours, three hours after being sworn in. Absolutely unbelievable. And the only thing I have to really add about this is that this is broken windows policing. I'm reading a book right now called The End of Policing, and it goes along with what you were saying, Robbie, about how, you know, we, we always are trying to muse about what is the solution to this militarized police state, right? It's never going to be diversity training. They, they've done studies on showing that Latino and black cops kill black and Latino people just as much as white cops. Um, you know, it's just like how Arab Israelis are are sometimes even more vehemently racist because they're trying to assert, you know, their own like privilege in, 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 in their situation and stuff like that. So that is completely um, fallacious. Diversity training does not work. And also just officer safety, like you said. I mean, so it's the mentality of how officer safety comes first, how everyone is a suspect, how you have to be prepared to basically kill someone at even routine traffic stops. And the broken windows theory was basically uh, people who are economists who blame poor people for their own poverty. And so to them, poor people are the scourge of the earth and so this whole philosophy on how to militarize police and basically plant them in low-income neighborhoods is just a recipe for disaster. You're basically just putting militarized police forces in poor communities that need social services and then just criminalizing to the utmost degree of just like petty crimes, like selling loose cigarettes. I mean, this yeah. is how Eric Garner died. Or even the stop and frisk policy, it's like, not even like petty crimes, just like looking suspicious. Exactly. So they're giving them license to just basically search anybody who looks suspicious. And that was in New York City. And, you know, this incident happened recently. I don't know if you've been paying attention to this, Abby, but this 15-year-old kid was uh, killed in like a, like a group stabbing in mm -mm. the Bronx about a few days ago. Did you hear about this? Mm -mm. Um, it's fucking crazy. Only and the craziest part to me is not just because of how like tragic it was that this guy was fifteen, is that he got murdered like in front of dozens of witnesses, um, including somebody who filmed, who was like filming it for like four minutes before it happened, watching all these like men congregating on the street, like acting super suspicious. Like you watch the video, you're like, what the hell is about to happen here? And then they all of a sudden go run towards this one kid and stab him to death. And oh then as God. I'm watching the video, I'm thinking, damn, so, the, you know, the New York police had stop and frisk. They're just stopping random people who look suspicious, but yet there's, like, no police around when someone's getting murdered and, like, not in broad daylight, it was at night, but there was plenty of streetlights, tons of people around watching this happen. But then I also thought, well, what if the police came and tried to stop it? Police are trained to just, like, mur like shoot to kill. Right. So what would they have even done, like... It just, it's such a fucking mess the way that police are trained. So that even in a scenario like that, even if the police got there in time, they would have probably just shot everybody dead or something. Maybe what including the even the victim. Filming? What happened to the kid filming? Um, he was, well, there was a, uh, like a security camera right outside the store where it happened. 
that was filming. And then there was also someone filming from like a four stories up in an apartment building. So good question. If it was some kind of maybe, I mean, I don't know if it was a gang like hit or anything like that, but if it was, then if the person filming put their name out there, then yeah, I would, I wouldn't want my name to get out there if I had filmed something like that. So yeah. Um, But it's really, really, it's just really frightening to see. It reminded me of that one horrifying story that happened that you hear about, you know, still of the woman who was getting strangled and raped and the, um, you know, and all the neighbors like didn't call the police, even though they heard the screams and stuff. So. A lot of times like neighbors will be interviewed. Like when those kids were found, the like dozen kids chained to those beds, remember? And there's their parents had taken them to Las Vegas and gotten married. And one of the kids was going to college, but it's just so interesting. Like this is how disconnected we are as Americans to our own community. Um, the, the neighbors were interviewed after that and they were like, yeah, you know, I, th- I thought it was weird that the kids weren't allowed to speak to anyone. And I mean, it's just like such red flags of mass abuse going on that everyone just turned a blind eye, just the willfully blind. It's the same, that theory, Margaret Heffernan has an amazing book called willful blindness. And it's just, it's a, it's a psychological sickness that we're conditioned into. It's like something that our brains do where you cannot see what's right in front of you or you choose not to because again, it's just easier. Um, well, it's, and and people are so just so knee jerkish like about it because everything's just so polarized too. Right. I mean, like even just the idea that police are trained to be abusive and that they have dangerous training that's not helpful for people. It's like, actually, that's more of an argument that probably right wingers would be able to digest if you put it to them that way. You know, but the way that the argument is framed most of the time, it's just such a, it should become almost like abortion now where it's like, there's no in between, like nobody talks about it. Everyone just, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not trying to equate the left to the right here at all. There is a huge problem with systematic police abuse um, and, and racism, like systematic racism and violence. I mean, but I'm, I lean more towards the idea now that it comes down to training, you know, rather than you know, the police them as individuals are racist, you know, but they but are too. But that's I mean, what this book talks about. It's like, even when it comes down to training, you're not going to be able to reverse the sheer amount of cops is the problem. That's what this book's saying. It's basically like, we need to remove these militarized police forces and completely downsize them to the point where you don't see cops because they, they, they are an army now and they're treating us like we're enemy combatants. Um, and that, that's the problem. So it doesn't have anything to do with training, diversity or the officer safety thing, because it's never going to change. It's just going to keep getting incrementally worse. And so it all stems from this, you know, obviously it exacerbated after nine 11. Um, and we see like tanks in the streets and mm-hmm. you look at Oakland, those photos of Oscar Grant's rally. I mean, the cops look uh, timid compared to what they do now. I mean, that was what, 10 years ago, like so much has changed in 10 years, but it all stems from blaming poor people for being poor. Instead of giving them resources for trying to pick themselves up on their own two feet, you just police the shit out of them and terrorize their communities. It's, it's nuts, but this book is great because it just gave me a different insight on, on how things got to where they are and what we could actually do. And there's different comparisons with different communities around the world that have taken steps to, you know, self police or, remove police forces and stuff like that. So I encourage everyone to check it out. I'll put a link on the timeline, but what's the uh, book called again? The end of policing. Oh, okay. Um, I just wanted to mention one other story about police that happened recently. Luckily it didn't lead to any violence, but it was, um, 
just a really disturbing, you know, incident. Um, they, it probably happens all the time actually. But, uh, so basically what happened was a black, uh, teen was dating a white, uh, white teen. And I think they were actually both like technically adults. Like she was 18 years old and I don't know what age he was, but I think he was 18 as well. Um, and her father was a police officer. So, Basically, imagine being the boyfriend in this scenario and having your worst nightmare come true where you're driving with your girlfriend and then the girlfriend's father is has his lights on behind you and he's pulling you over. So what happened was as soon as the the, the father of this, this girl started talking to the boyfriend, he's in, he immediately starts telling him that he can make up any shit he wants as he goes along. He basically admits to him that he pulled him over for no reason. This is all in the dash cam video. You can watch it. And he literally says, we'll make shit up as we go. Um, and then, so that's on the video. Wow. And then basically what happened was he, he, the reason he got in trouble was not because of what was on the video. It was because he completely falsified a report saying the kid was driving recklessly, um, that, uh, that he was like worried for his daughter's safety and all this shit. Um, but then later he admitted when like, basically they found out he was lying um, that uh, he was just worried that his daughter was with, he didn't like the boyfriend because he had a mar- He got arrested for marijuana. What? Once. And if you watch the video, it's just really disturbing because eventually what happens is he drags the daughter by her arm outside the boyfriend's car after he decides he's not going to falsely arrest him. He like it basically tells the boyfriend, he's like, he's like, actually like I can get you for anything right now, but like, I'm going to let you go. And then he's like, but my daughter's going with me. So he goes and rips her out of the car. And the daughter's like screaming, just saying, you can't do this. This is illegal. I'm an adult. There's no, like, what did oh I do? Oh, my God. And he throws her in the back of the police car while she's sobbing. Um, So he actually got fired, luckily, for this. Wow. So That's stunning that he got fired, actually. Yeah, because it's so blatant. If you watch the video, that he is, like, completely abusing his power. And he talks about it as he's abusing it, like how he's just going to make shit up. So I think when you get laid on that thick as a corrupt cop on video, you can go down pretty easily. But if it's just a shooting where you say, I thought he had a gun, nine times out of 10, you're going to be fine. You get paid administrative leave. I just watched uh, our War on the Border Empire Files documentary about immigration, and and in it, it talks about how Customs and Border Patrol, where these people are literally shooting people just like IDF soldiers are for kids throwing rocks, um, killing people for for just doing dumb shit, you know, kids walking home from school across the border. Anyway, this kid, Jose Antonio, was shot so many times by this Border Patrol agent through the fence that he actually had to reload his clip and continue shooting the kid like as the kid's lifeless body was on the ground. His name was Jose Antonio. So anyway, long story short is that this guy was going to get indicted because it was such a clear cut case of execution. Um, and then I just read that he he's off, baby. He got off. Of course. So yeah, so this is, even though that, that that's like so beyond the pale, it's like how could you possibly justify that your life was in danger? You're shooting a child through a border wall. This is the system. It's a rock. This is, no, he didn't even have a rock. This is this is just what they justify to kill other people. Yeah. But yeah, the kid was just walking home from school with a little backpack on, pissed off some some racist jackboot thug, 
Um, I sound like Alex Jones. <laughs> you racist jackpot thug. <laughs> so in between the last podcast, um, I was toying around with the idea of like men, you know, talking about a movie that's, that ties, you know, we talked about infinity war just for fun on the last podcast, but you know, maybe talking about like a political movie old or new that we've seen. Mm-hmm, that's like mm-hmm. relevant to like the shit that we cover on a, that's a cool you know, idea. Weekly basis. So I caught this movie that I, I saw a little bit of like years ago. Um, I think it came out in like 2012 maybe. And it was actually, it came out during the period when Mel Gap, uh, Mel Gibson was completely basically banned from Hollywood after saying that anti-Semitic shit and calling that cop sugar tits and all that awful stuff that came out with his ex-wife. Um, and so this movie kind of got, you know, brushed into the rug. People don't really remember it, but it's called edge of darkness. And I would almost describe it as like an extremely dark, hard hitting anti-military industrial complex, like thriller movie. Um, and to try to entice you to watch it, I pretty much have to spoil, you know, a, a kind of a large part of the plot. It doesn't really give away the ending, but uh, but if you don't want to hear spoilers, um, I'll just say that it's a really good, solid, hard-hitting, anti-military industrial complex thriller, and that I recommend it. So if you don't, if you want to fast forward a little bit and not hear any spoilers, that's fine. Do that. Uh, but basically the reason why I think, I mean, I think it's a strong movie in that mold is because um, the bad guys in the movie are essentially a cabal of U.S. senators who are being paid off by these defense companies, CIA and DARPA fixers who are like trying to cover shit up. And the basically this group of people, the CIA fixers and the senator, give permission to a company that's a parody of Northrop Grumman. It's called Northmore. There's a really similar logo in the movie. Um, they give them the permission to use their own private security force to murder whistleblowers in their own company. And then at the end of the movie, you find out that what this company makes is they actually make nuclear weapons for the U.S. government, but they were secretly hired by the CIA um, to build nuclear weapons to make them look like they were built by other foreign countries to do a false flag nuclear attack. So this company actually would build fake dirty bombs that made it like to make it look like Al Qaeda built them or something and then like detonate them somewhere in the United States. So they were basically the movie is, is them trying to unravel this conspiracy of why all these people are being killed in this company. Um, and it's because the company was making nuclear bombs to frame other countries. Um, so I thought that was a really fascinating sort of like plot. You don't really see like movies like that. I was just going to say, you can, you can know for sure that this movie was not funded by the Pentagon. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, it's like subsidized in any way. (laughs) Yeah. And if it was, I'd be uh, absolutely shocked. And it's, it's actually, it's, I mean, it's got some, it's decently high budget and like the company's building looks really creepy and they have like a nuke inside the building and shit. So, um, so check it out. And then, uh, uh, speaking of movie stars, um, other than Mel Gibson, um, Tom Arnold, for some reason, has been in the news a bunch recently, and I guess it's because he dropped a tweet saying that he's secretly working with Michael Cohen um, and that he's going to drop all these tapes soon from The Apprentice um, that are it's going to like take down Trump. So because of that tweet he made, CNN and a bunch of other places, um, I guess, took him completely at face value and had him on to talk about it. And there's this extremely bizarre 
Tom Arnold interview on CNN where he goes completely silent and starts like shaking in his chair and like twiddling his thumbs for almost a minute straight of like dead air on CNN where the reporter just keeps going, Tom, are you okay? Wait, what was he talking about? He was like, so are you going to release? She was, so basically the reporter was asking him if he could confirm that he's working with Michael Cohen. So she's like, are you working with Michael Cohen? And then Tom Arnold just starts like, shaking back and forth in his seat and like twiddling his thumbs and like not saying anything. And she's like, Tom. And he just like keeps doing it. And it goes on for so long. It's one of the most bizarre clips I've ever seen. Like, wow. I'm shocked that someone from the control room didn't actually like switch to another, like a commercial or something. Cause it's just goes on for so long. What? What do you think was behind it? I think that he just didn't have anything. He made it up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he just like had like started having like a panic attack or something on the air or, at, wow. or thought it looked like he had was holding his cards close to his chest and then like thought it looked like badass for him to just like stonewall the CNN reporter but it was just super awkward cuz she's not letting up and he's literally not talking for almost a minute so that's so so weird yeah so basically to make a long story short, he obviously doesn't have any tapes from The Apprentice. He's been saying this for a year. Why would he have the tapes? He was just a, an, um, one of the people who competed in The Apprentice. Why would Tom Arnold have the behind-the-scenes tapes? Yeah, and, and other also, people we've wouldn't? already talked about this. Even if Trump was out there on the tapes saying the N-word, no one would care. So what oh, could yeah, he possibly totally have on the tapes? Is it the pasta. piss tape? Like, what, what tape do you have, dude? Yeah, unless it's like it has to be significantly worse than they grab him by the pussy tape. Like ten, it has to be like ten times worse. I don't know how. Like you, where he's I mean, on like tape what? admitting molesting a child or something. <laughs> or like it was terrific. People. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, it's hard to believe what would take Trump down at this point. I mean, and, yeah, and it's really what would. It's hard to I imagine. Mean, but that's what's so weird is like Trump is this untouchable person who, you know, who, who can be rape allegations, sexual assault, rampant, you know, the Me Too movement, I feel like maybe wouldn't have taken off if Trump didn't win. There's like all these things that I feel like happen only because Trump is in office that I guess we have to look at as good things. Um, but it is really infuriating that Trump could just be you know, just untouched through all of this and just unscathed and like nothing he does really can take him down and everything just adds to his brand. Yeah. I, I really, I mean, that's a really good question. What could he do? And I, I don't know. I mean, if he was naked and he like cut his dick off on camera, <laughs> like, like if he just, in his next press conference, he walked out with no pants on and just cut his own dick off. That might lower his, like the support of his base. Right. Maybe. I mean, honestly, don't know. <laughs> I know that we talked about Candace Owens, and um, now it's time to talk about Dave Rubin because, holy mother of God, I always, you know, I never watched his show, but I was always extremely unimpressed when I would see like little clips from him. But I never knew that he was actually dumb um, until until he went on the Joe Rogan show. Again, it's like you really see who these people are because they just lay it all out, and there's no hiding behind their beliefs and. Um, Unfortunately, what he came out of the gates with was uh, a very, very widely debunked theory that, you know, libertarianism is the the end all be all and that the market will correct itself. 
and that we should just deregulate everything. Um, this is actually what we've been doing for the last 30 years. We've been doing nothing but deregulating the government and every agency. And that's actually why we're at such a horrible place. So I don't understand how these arguments keep getting like repackaged and sold like they're these brilliant cutting edge theories. Do you want to talk about what he actually said? <laughs> it was so funny because you're right that he like I I just assumed wrongly that he was kind of a smart guy, right. you know, but dumb in terms of, you know, that his po political worldview, I really strongly disagreed with, but smart, you know, like he's let's just say he's a really good talker. He's got like that TV personality, um, you know, charisma. Like a hoke, like kind of hokey. Yeah, he's got like a char charismatic on camera personality that appears smart. So, yeah, it was really shocking to hear him um, arguing with Joe Rogan saying, like, you know, why do we need, uh, you know, building codes? Like, it's not like they're, the people are following the codes because the law tells them to. I mean, everybody cuts corners. And Joe was like, wait, 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 hold up. My my father was in construction his whole life, man. Like, building codes are super important. Like, are you really saying we shouldn't have building codes? And then he and then he kind of went around to the circular argument saying that, well, yeah, basically making an argument that the market will correct itself because now that everybody has iPhones, people are too afraid to, like, not follow the building codes or something or, like, to do dangerous things like like with zero understanding of construction, you can hide things in a wall that's sheetrock that no one will ever see. You can hide it for 40, 50 years. So building codes are literally one of the only things scaring people into following like elect electrical laws, you know, like Look building codes for that. Look at the ghost fire. Look at the ghost ship. Yeah. This is what happens when you don't have building codes, Dave. Yeah. I mean, so it's just such a strange thing and i i guess i could see a smarter libertarian trying to make an argument that sounds a lot better than what dave rubin was saying kind of making this a similar argument but much smarter sounding but dave rubin sounded like to me that dave rubin hasn't even studied his own liberty like supposed libertarian worldview like he doesn't even understand it himself yeah he just says is, he's a libertarian it's almost like he's right. been going around this whole time saying i'm a libertarian without really understanding what that means. And it, like, it almost makes me think Bill Maher is more of a legitimate libertarian in a way. Cause like, you know, as stupid as he is, I, I, I would be surprised if he came out with something like this, you know? So I don't know. It, it was actually really shocking. It was. And you should watch Kyle Kalinske's clip on Dave Rubin. So you don't have to sit through three hours of him talking on Joe Rogan, but he's like, for example, like this desk, he's like, like this room, he's like, I'm sure that you would just do the right thing. He's like, people are just inclined to do the right thing. It's like, dude, what in the seriously, look at the goddamn world. Corporations are dumping billions of gallons of toxic waste into every fucking ocean, river, lake. Yeah, they just they're just they just want to do the right thing. And this oh, no, is that's, like with government regulations. He like, actually what are you mentioned talking about No, one of his best arguments, Abby, you just you just um reminded me was he was like, you know, everyone's acts like as soon as the regulations are lifted, the corporations are gonna be like, Psst, hey, now we could start dumping all the toxic waste in the in the river next door. That's what they're doing. Let's do that. And it's like, um actually I don't even think he has a fundamental understanding of the way that like a lot of these industries work or where they're located. Like for example, like um, agriculture, 
Like, what? Are, where do they do with all that piss? They're already allowed, even with regulations, they're already allowed to literally spray the, all this animal piss just into the air. Where does that go? Right. I mean, so like, it's like he has no comprehension of like even what corporations are already allowed to do. I could see someone arguing this in, in 1980. I mean, how is this still working 40 years later to actually claim that we need a massive deregulation? What does he think has happened? How could you possibly look at the government today and be like, you know what we need? More corporate control. Like literally that's how the BP oil spill happened. That's how all this shit happens, man. That's how Fukushima happened. I went to Houston. I I saw these chemical plants that are not only built next to schools because there's no regulation because the corporations own the state. Hey, they just want to do the right thing, though. I guess they just, you know, they, they don't understand that they're poisoning all the children there. They don't even get fined during natural natural disasters like like a hurricane. If you just have emissions when you're shutting down and starting up, you do not get fined at all. Zero fines, babe. <laughs> Dave, I would love to sit down with Dave and just explain these very basic concepts to him. Just like the Jordan Peterson interview where he apparently has never heard of the Civil Rights Act. Um, because again, these are very fundamental things and Dave Rubin seems to not have a grasp on what corporations are allowed to do, what they've been doing with the massive deregulation that's happened where they've been able to take on all the risk. Tens of millions of people have died around the world because of corporate unaccountability and impunity. And this is going on on a daily basis. I mean, I just can't even believe we're talking about this. And that people love Dave Rubin and think he's a genius. I mean, I I agreed with you. I thought that he was kind of on par with like a Sam Harris intellectual because I'd never heard him. I just knew that he hosted all these people on his show. But now that I'm actually getting a sense of who these people are, I'm I'm alarmed. Well, it's very fraudulent. I mean, it's I think it reveals they're fraudulent and they're just sort of them posing as things that they're really not, like, even not. I mean, it's one thing to disagree with the politics that Dave Rubin puts out, but it's another thing to think, wait a second, is he even a real libertarian? Has he even thought these ideas through? That's like a whole other level of, like, wait, like, what is he? So, I mean, that should be alarming to anyone, even if you're a libertarian who's a fan of him. Because it's like, wait a second, this guy doesn't even understand, like, the worldview in which I've studied. It's like he's just, like, flying by the seat of his pants and kind of just clickbaiting himself, his way through it, blind. Like, that's kind of, like, like, unfortunate that I've been following this charlatan who's not even a real libertarian, and I thought he was. So it's like, what the (laughs) fuck? Just like people who are, like, you know, say like, he's a comedian. Like he's like an un-PC comedian. Like he thinks comedians are too PC. It's like, wait, is he even a comedian though? Like he's a lot, but I think he's been lying about that too. <laughs> like, so it's just interesting. And even the fact that he said he used to be a liberal, like that's even a fucking lie. Oh dude. Everything about this guy is a Charlotte's a piece of shit, dude. dude like, well, Dave, have you seen it already? To- Dave wants to go back to the era in the, in the 1900s when there was f- massive fires in buildings and, and hundreds of people were dying um, mm-hmm. until, guess what, Dave? The government made regulation called building construction safety. I, I've never even heard a libertarian argue on behalf of deregulating building safety. I mean, that that's a new one for me. Let's, if any libertarians are listening right now, tell us what you think about just basic building codes. Right. You know, I, I've already heard libertarians try to argue against the Civil Rights Act and the oh, wheelchair yeah, ramp yeah. access, which, you know, makes them look terrible. So it's, it's like, 
I don't. I mean, I'm sure there's a libertarian. I mean, there's probably probably libertarians out there who would argue against this too. So, but I'm. Oh, but even still, they would yeah. sound better than Dave Rubin did because obviously Dave Rubin hasn't even fucking thought it through. That's what's so bizarre about it to me. It's not even just how wrong the idea is. It's like he hasn't even fucking thought about it before. Does he understand why we have a five-day work week and why children aren't enslaved in factories? I mean, all of these basic things happen with massive civil disobedience and like forcing the government to regulate industry. Imagine having the worldview where you're like, everyone's just good-natured. Everyone wants to do the right thing. So of course they're going to do the right thing. They don't need the big bad government coming in there and telling them what to do and what not to do. Like what, dude? Um, and then and then he brings up Jordan Peterson and he was like, he's not anti-trans. And I'll tell you why. He's like, I've seen trans people go to his lectures. I feel like Jordan Peterson has really revealed himself a lot more than when he first came on the scene. Um, his ideas are becoming a little bit more revealed um, and his true character is becoming exposed. I was going to actually pose this question to you after seeing those two clips of him talking about gay marriage. You know, this is no longer about trans people. This is like him now opening up and being like, actually, I'm also like yeah. anti-gay. Um, do you think that's going to hurt him with the people who maybe were initially excited about just his kind of bigger picture ideas? Or do no. you think that this is going to help him? I don't think it's going to hurt or help him because I yeah. think those type of people who are already into his bigger picture ideas... Um, you know, they'll just say he's taken out of context and, you know, just like Sam Harris. <laughs> um, I think they've already decided where to hitch their wagon to. But I think it also reveals something interesting about him is he is ill-equipped to properly and effectively engage with um, mostly what I believe to be like Amer the American political framework. You know, right. he could maybe go on a BBC show and talk about feminism and maybe battle with that host and, and look like he won or something. But I feel like in America, he doesn't have enough understanding of, and especially knowledge of the context of like the Jim Crow era, um, you know, slavery, um, the civil rights era, just fundamental things like that. Um, and I really do think it reveals that he is in kind of like an academic bubble. And that's kind of what I took away from that was that he just doesn't, it's like when you really start to argue with him and debate with him, like in the framework of an American political landscape, um, it's just like he can't really keep up. And I mean, I guess it's nice that he admitted that he was wrong about that. Uh, but like, I, I mean, it just, it's, it's again, it just reveals his ignorance. Like I don't, I really do. I mean, I, I think the main th takeaway is that he seems very ill-equipped to plug himself into like our debate framework. And I feel like people who have a, a strong understanding of American politics and Jim Jeffries actually does, even though it's actually funny, Jim Jeffries um, said some really offensive, crazy things politically back in the day. I'm kind of surprised he's kind of t taken this turn. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, even Jim Jeffries understands it better than a Canadian, you know, pr professor from Toronto and he's Australian. So he admitted to like, um, giving a 17 year old girl ecstasy and, and, um, and having sex with her and shit. I mean, he's, he said some really crazy shit on the radio, just like Louis CK, yeah. like all those comedians yeah. have, but yeah. they all pretend unfiltered time. Yeah. I mean, I do too. think there's a little, it does make me cringe how virtue signally some of them are now because of how more crazy and unhinged they used to act. And like, you know, like even Sarah Silverman, 
Right. Like she used to be one of the, say some of the most crazy racist off color shit ever. Yeah. She had blackface in one of her skits yeah. and stuff. Jimmy um, Kimmel well, had blackface in one of his skits. That's insane. Uh, the Jordan Peterson suing this university for defamation, I find odd. And, and, and this is going off of Majid Nawaz and the Quilliam foundation actually winning a $3 million lawsuit from the Southern poverty law center for suggesting that Majad was an anti-Islam extremist. Astounding. Wow. Um, I, I really just have no words about that. Uh, I don't even understand how that's inaccurate. Exactly. And I feel like they were saying that this was, he was just a stepping stone for like extremism, which he is. So I have no idea how he won the case. And now there's $3 million being funneled into this insane organization, the Quilliam Foundation. But now everyone's just suing everyone, baby. You have Jordan Peterson suing this university for defamation. Here's the problem. It was a, it was a private meeting that people had that he like found out about what they said about him in a private meeting. Isn't that amazing? That's so the they had like a mole, case. basically, some alt-right yeah. like mole. In Canada, it's very important to understand that you will not go to jail for not pronouncing trans people's pronouns. But he's like victimized himself and made himself into this martyr in an imaginary battle that actually doesn't exist. He's taken it to, the, to this absurd extreme where he's like, okay, I could eventually, if I'm fined by the state, and if I refuse to pay the fine, then I can go to jail. To think that he was just this professor that caught, got caught up in this by being like, I'm taking a stand against this rule that I disagree with would be, again, phony because he actually had like a show on Canadian TV where he was doing like little John Stossel segments about how boys can't throw snowballs anymore and how we're taking away men's masculinity like many, many years before that he got caught up in that oh, so-called that controversy. Older? Oh my God, that was so, so creepy where he was wearing the fedora. Yeah, so what I'm saying oh is he's God. been trying to generate these little like Tucker Carlson-y, John Stossel-y little controversies the, all, the whole time, you know? Like, so he's not this professor, you know, primarily. He wants to generate these little, you know, political footballs. So he so he finally got one with traction, and that's what he wrote on to get to this level he's at now. So what else is up before? Oh yeah, the Alex Jones thing. Oh yeah, he wanted to talk about Jim Carrey's drawings. So Jim Carrey, I actually I liked a couple of his drawings until I started getting um, homophobic and all about Putin. Yeah, and Kim Jong Un. Like, yeah, and with just, like giant teeth, like making mm-hmm. him look like a racist, like yeah, caricature. like racist and homophobic characters all of a sudden. It yeah, turned, so. I didn't realize Jim Carrey, I saw seen some of his pop art. Yeah, like they didn't look terrible to me. And then just recently he started posting all these drawings on Twitter um, that literally look like they were drawn with a Mr. Sketch pack of scented magic markers like you got in elementary school. Like the fat tipped markers. And they look awful. <laughs> like I, I don't understand what he's doing. Um, and he was just in a, recently in a movie where he played an Irish police detective. Um, that got like a one percent on Rotten Tomatoes in it, Yikes. and it was just. Uh, I mean, I watched the trailer for it. It looks so fucking bad. I don't know what he's doing. I mean, I do think some of these celebrities should just stay in their own lane and not engage in politics because it just is really, really embarrassing sometimes when they do. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, at first, I I had hope for him because I thought he kind of broke out in this spiritual quest of like how Hollywood is bullshit and all this stuff. And then he just kind of, his reptilian brain was activated just like all these people's are under Trump. And he just became another one of these, you know, 
liberals who basically thinks that Kim Jong-un is a, is an evil genocidal dictator and that, you know, Trump is uh, giving him a propaganda coup and stuff. And I just can't, I can't. Talk yeah. about Jones? First of all, Alex Jones freaked out on Joe Rogan and gave a crazed sociopathic rant. I mean, it just seems like every time I see Alex Jones, he's getting more off the handles. I don't know if it's the divorce, you know, now he's, he's trying to grow this beard and he was clearly intoxicated in several of these rants, but the one on Joe Rogan, it didn't seem like he was drunk, but he just goes on a 20 minute rant. And it all is based on the fact that Joe Rogan said, George Soros is not a Nazi. Because guess what? He's not a fucking Nazi, even though there is a very bizarre interview with George Soros, which I found very strange, where he said he felt zero remorse helping Nazis round up Jewish people's possessions in the Holocaust. Yeah, it's really weird that he said that. That also does not mean that he himself is a Nazi. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, you know, some of these really rich people are very um, candid sometimes about, you know, they're very honest sometimes. Um, and a normal person would, would, even if they're not remorseful, would know to say they're remorseful. Right. But sometimes these really rich people don't, they don't know to do that. Um, they just don't care. I mean, remember when Ted Turner um, was actually being interviewed on CNN? This is the former owner of CNN. Actually, he might even still be the primary owner. He was interviewed on CNN in a rare interview like four or five years ago. And the, and the person said, what do you think about all these... Um, you know, military veterans, these suicides skyrocketing, these rates. And Ted Turner, like, had this giant smile, and he's like, I think it's good. And, and the reporter was like, you think it's good? I think it was Piers Morgan when he was on CNN. <laughs> so what? Piers Morgan was like, wait, you think it's good? And then Ted Turner was like, yeah, I think it's good because um, uh, it'll make people, like, more um, more reluctant to, like, send people to, into war. <laughs> But it was just like such a crazy, thing, like out of touch thing to like burst out with as your first response, you know? So it's it just, to me, it so just reveals crazy. that these rich billionaire oligarch people, they're on a whole other level of like sociopathic. Yeah, the reporter ways of gave him a shit. chance too, because he was like, huh? He's like, wow, that's, that sounds like a harrowing story. He's like, definitely, that must have been devastating. And George Soros was like, no, it was actually totally fine. And he was like, you didn't have any feelings at all or emotions thinking about that. And he was like, not at all. He was like, He's like, it was totally fine. I had no problems with it at all. It was just a very out of touch, weird ass thing to say, especially about the Holocaust, which is like the most politicized, horrifying Strange. thing. That's like the basis of everything. So again, this is like going from something that is interesting. The fact that George Soros is like a removed sociopath to then just hysterically calling him a Nazi and going after Joe Rogan saying, they're going to release bioweapons soon to stop Trump. Like basically threatening that somehow Alex Jones has inside insight that there's going to be a bioweapons attack to stop Trump. Like QAnon weird shit going on. I, it was, that was really creeped me out. I mean, because we're talking about someone who talks to Trump on the phone. You know, what is he implying? That the deep state's going to release anthrax to stop Trump? I mean, it's really, really creepy that Alex Jones would make a declaration like that, you know, especially after that he's actually has a relationship with the sitting president. Um, and just jumping ahead a little bit to this, to his, um, his uh, segment, Alex Jones' segment about the Space Force that Trump announced. I mean, I think Alex Jones is, is getting more and more unhinged over time. He might, he, he might just be drinking more. 
and drunk on the air, but this segment was insane, Abby. I mean, he was literally sane and just talking about that relationship with Trump. He was like, he was like, people have been wondering, is there a psychic internet? And I have to say, folks, there, there's, there is a psychic internet. People have been wondering, why do I say things? And then Trump says them uh, two days later. And, and why, why are me and Trump soul brothers? And he's like twirling his finger in the air, like as he's saying this. Yeah. And he's like, he's a, like, people have asked me, he's like, the deep state has me on their jumbotrons. He was like, all the military personnel has me on their jumbotrons. He was like, he was like, is it me? He was like, they asked me, he's like, are you running Trump's foreign policy? He was like basically hinting that he's actually running Trump's administration. Or he was That's like he acting like, yeah, self-aggrandizing, like he was somehow, all these secret FBI agents are constantly investigating people to figure out if Alex Jones is running Trump. He's like, and who's, who's running who? He's like, I don't know. I mean, there's a psychic internet. He was totally intoxicated. I think... It was more than just being drunk. I mean, it seemed like he was definitely on pills, maybe. Yeah. He was like, he was like, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Oh my God. Oh yeah. You're talking about the rant against Joe Rogan now. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 No, it was, I mean, so these were two different recent rants he did. Um, And yeah, the rant about Joe Rogan. I mean, basically what happened was if you watch the whole video, it seems like he's butthurt that Joe Rogan doesn't invite him on his podcast as much as he has other people on. You know, Joe Rogan's had you on more than he's had Alex Jones on. Um, and Alex Jones seemed really upset that Joe jabs him in, you know, in a kind of like in a, in a friendly way and jokes about him sometimes on his own podcast. Alex Jones seemed to be really upset about that and took it very, really seriously. Um, and Alex Jones and Joe Rogan the whole time, they've been kind of jabbing each other and you know, breaking each other's balls sometimes. So it was weird that Alex Jones would all of a sudden turn on him and act like it's war. Like he said, he's coming after Joe. If Joe doesn't get on board with the program that George Soros is a Nazi. <laughs> That's literally what he was saying. Um, And then he goes on to accuse Joe of being part of like a CIA conspiracy to promote DMT because the new world order wants to communicate with the interdimensional aliens. And, yeah, and he's like, he's like, those aliens are both a met. He said, that's, he said, you, you see that, not me. You see them. He said, that's you. Yeah. Like the DMT little, little elves. Yep. Um, that's, that's the devil. But I, it was really creepy to see that mixed with his evangelicalism to talk about how this is really just like the God's plan and stuff. It was, it was highly disturbing. And then he just goes on to just tell multiple lies one after the other about things that he knows and, and connections that he has to the deep state or like these CIA whistleblowers. And he says, he says, when I was a kid, I knew people who were taking DMT trials for the CIA. Like what the fuck? Like who would say that when he was a kid, <laughs> he knew like, was he working in, journalism like how did he know people it's just such a bizarre crazy lie to just like make up oh yeah well i, I saw one sam cedar clip where they took an alex jones rant of him basically in one of these unhinged drunken stupors talking about how he, when he was in high school when he was like a freshman in high school he was dating like a senior a, a woman who took him to his house begged him to have sex with her and then told him you'd have to join like my satanic cult and he was like, you know what? I just can't do that. He was like, she, she tried to get me into Satanism and like, and I just, I just had to go. And I was Holy like, Wait, shit. obviously this is totally made up, dude. 
what are you talking about? And it's so weird too, because the, when he makes up these lies, it only just reveals more about his own psychology. Like, it's like, he can't just say, I knew people mm -hmm. who did CIA DMT trials. He had to say, I knew people when I was a kid. Right. It's like, <laughs> that's how far his ego needs to go to like double down on him being like better and bigger and more insightful than like everyone else on the scene. He knew about this when he was a kid. You got it? Like, he didn't just find out about this later when he started doing journalism in his early 20s. He knew about it when he was a fucking child. Like, that's yeah, and he's just, like, I don't need to take DMT. I have God. <laughs> and, but the militarizing space thing was surreal. First of all, why is this not a story that Trump has just suddenly ordered the Pentagon to create a sixth fleet of the military, a new force to militarize space and assert, quote, American dominance. First of all, there's a global treaty banning this, so I don't know where this is all going. This was totally under the radar. I didn't even know about this story until I saw Alex Jones talking about it. Really? <laughs> yes. Well, I remember Trump announced, talked about doing this a few months ago already, um, and Ring of Fire did a segment about it actually. And, and I remember hearing a little bit about this, but he didn't announce, this is like the official announcement of it finally. Um, and of course, being obsessed with neoconservatives, my first go-to was, oh, this was like this idea of a space force, the, you know, even calling it a sp the space force comes from the first time I read about it was in re America's rebuilding America's defenses, the PNAC document um, from 2000. Um, and there's actually a chapter in it called Control the new international commons of space and cyberspace. And, and the subheader says, and pave the way for the creation of a new military service, U.S. space forces with the mission of space control. What in the hell? I like how it just casually was like cyberspace and space. Yeah. And this is from 2000. <laughs> so this is really thinking ahead. You know, space exploration had already been done for decades. Um, and then I'll just continue. I'll just read from the rest of what it says in PNAC's document. Inevitably, new technologies may create the need for entirely new military organizations. This report will argue below that the emergence of space as a key theater of war suggests forcefully that, in time, it may be wise to create a separate space service. Space dominance may become so essential to the preservation of American military preeminence that it may require a separate service. Um, that's all from the PNAC Rebuilding America's Defenses document where they also say we need a new Pearl Harbor. Um so this shit's been in the making for a long time. Like the neocons and the military industrial complex, of course they want this shit. You imagine how much money could be poured into like space militarization. I mean, man, some defense oh. contractors are going to get serious contracts out of oh, this yeah. shit. And some, just some context, half of Americans are poor. Half of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. We spend more than the next 11 countries combined. And we just passed a near trillion dollar defense budget a near trillion dollar defense budget. So Trump announces this just flippantly and Alex Jones, uh, you know, the old Alex Jones would have, would have called this out and said, um, this is horrifying. You know, the neocons have, have hijacked this and now we're going to do all this crazy stuff. And instead he was just, he couldn't have been happier. He was quoting Trump's speech and just like almost crying. Oh, almost having like an he was orgasm. Like, a, he was like, he was like this is the most beautiful. Yeah. He was like, oh, space fairing. He put his hands up like a space fairing people. Oh, yeah. who wrote that? And he was like, we're a seafaring people. We're a landfaring people and our destiny 
is to go to outer space. And then he like stops himself and he's like, well, we've done it before, but our destiny is to the stars. And he like puts his hand up in the air. I don't know how many drinks in and how many like Percocets he was on. It's just a really bizarre. And he's trying to grow a beard too, which is even makes it weirder. Yeah. And I like how he was like, like I didn't sell my soul out. It's like, really? I feel like you did because you're not only running like a complete snake oil operation where you're selling thousands of dollars in supplements to poor people who've, who have convinced themselves that you're some sort of messiah, but also you are a boot-looking uh, proto-fascist who worships the sitting president. So I don't know where this I, I don't sell out uh, mantra comes from. Very interesting. I mean, he, just an example of how much Alex Jones has, has sold his soul. Um, this is the same guy who used to criticize neoconservatives constantly on his radio show and talk about how they were, you know, mass murderers. Um, for people who don't know what the Washington Free Beacon is, it is a neoconservative outlet founded by former PNAC member Michael Goldfarb. Um, Washington Free Beacon is also the original funder of Fusion GPS opposition research on Trump, which later became the Steele dossier. Uh, this is what's bizarre is InfoWars distributed and republished over 1,000 articles from the Washington Free Beacon in the last couple of years. 1,000. I, I, I was astonished. You know, I thought I was maybe wow. going to find like a few dozen. 1,000 times they're promoting Washington Free Beacon articles, an outlet founded by a project for the New American Century member. Um, oh my God. That's, that just blows my it's mind. Incredible. And he's also a former Georgian lobbyist who worked side by side with Saakashvili and like helped run flank and propaganda along with Eli Lake and Jamie Kerchick during that Georgia incursion to make it seem like Russia was bombing all these things that they weren't, you know, running basically like black ops propaganda in the mainstream media. So very, very strange that Alex Jones would be promoting this, um, this figure and, um, but I mean, it's also, but it's not really not that strange because this is something we've been talking about for a while is that there's all these neocons who have managed to get their propaganda inserted in these right-wing fringe media outlets, right. like Breitbart, Frank Gaffney writes for that. Even a guy who has a Sputnik radio show, um, who brings on a lot of like progressives named Lee Stranahan. Um, he just released a documentary or he released a trailer for his documentary which is all about how the Muslim Brotherhood is taking over America and created ISIS, starring, guess who? Frank Gaffney, um, oh interviewed God. in the documentary. This documentary is entirely based on Frank Gaffney's theories. Um, so this is just a weird convergence of certain PNAC neoconservative world, like worldview with right-wing fringe media. And I find that very strange because it's like, once again, it just shows that the military-industrial complex and their minions don't like necessarily favor one side or the other, like they're getting their way kind of no matter what. Yeah. And I'm you know, sick of people painting this alter quote unquote alternative media apparatus as somehow comparable, like left wing and right wing alternative media. No, all of these websites that you're talking about, Infowars, Breitbart, Gateway Pundit, Washington Free Beacon, they're all funded by a massive multi-billion dollar right wing operation. Yeah. This is all coming from like huge oil money. Ben Shapiro's like website, um, the daily, uh, I forgot what it's called. Caller. Is, no, not that's Tucker Carlson. Yeah, but no, he has a, he has his own website that also is an apparatus funded by a billionaire as well. So yeah, it's like, what is this dark web bullshit? Like these people are fucking, they're, they're funded, you know, they're, they're part yeah. of an operation. 
Yeah. And don't forget where Ben Shapiro started. Breitbart. Yeah. So let's wrap this one up just by talking about the Afghanistan war really quickly. There was just a, a ban issued, I think, the religious authorities in Afghanistan that issued a fatwa to ban suicide bombing. And, and I guess the Taliban responded saying that it's legitimate form of warfare as long as the U.S. is occupying the country. But ISIS is is there somehow in Afghanistan. They're continuing to terrorize the public and there's still suicide bombings all the time. Every other day I read about mass casualties in Afghanistan of, and it's just horrifying. It was like one day when the ceasefire was announced that a bunch of journalists were, were gathered and trying to celebrate some sort of peaceful ceremony. And of course there was a suicide bombing and killed them all. It's just, it's just awful. It's a very dystopic reality there. And the fact that this is the country that the U S military has been occupying the longest in its history, 17 years now, every year, the opium production goes up by record breaking levels. This year is no different. Last year was an absolute fire sale for heroin manufacturers. Again, I don't want to blame the farmers. I've been to Colombia. It's not the fault of the opium growers and it's not the fault of the coca farmers. This is just the result of a policy that's put in place in order to maintain a perpetual occupation. We don't know where the opium's going. All we know is that there's something else going on that's keeping the U.S. there. It's just getting to the point of such absurdity that, uh, you know, in response to this record-breaking violence, mass casualties, the fact that the Taliban has only grown stronger over the course of the last 17 years, what does the U.S. do in response? It just ups its bombing campaign. A record number of bombs being dropped, set to surpass any level since the beginning of Afghanistan occupation. So, just generations of bombing, cycles of violence, what, what's going to happen to all the victims. Um, the U.S. is killing innocent people every day with bombing. God knows what is happening in that country. So if you want to like look at the Taliban as like, oh, they're, they're killing innocent people. What the fuck are we doing there? Like you have to have a negotiation at some point with the two parties. And that's what pretty much everyone has agreed on. The military understands that it's a stalemate. So it's just a matter of time before... The negotiations happen because that's the inevitable solution here because it's not going to stop. Um, but of course, all the U.S. knows how to do is just respond with more warfare and bloodshed. Yeah. I mean, Afghanistan is to me just one of the biggest tragedies of this whole thing in the post 9-11 world because it's frankly, it, I, I feel like it could just go on forever. Permanent occupation. Um. And not just by having military bases there, but just like actual like troops rotating there. Um, and no one will ever like, there won't be enough pushback to get us to finally pull out. Um, it's just kind of like this hidden war, even though it's like everybody knows what's going on. Um, and I think it, it it's for the same reason why people don't really care about Yemen either. It's just they don't they don't seem as they're not like us. They don't seem as civilized as us. They're too poor. You know, they, they don't have the Internet. They can't they don't all have cell phones to like record what's happening to them. Um, there's a lot of reasons for it, but it's it's just too much. It's really, really the, the amount of violence and death going on there. Like you said, no one cares. And the fact this cognitive dissonance of Americans to not give a shit about the bombs we are dropping that are destroying and decimating, not just fucking separating families. 
were decimating neighborhoods and communities for generations, not to mention the carcinogens with all these weapons. I mean, I'm just talking about the sheer just destruction of families going on every day. The U.S. drops a bomb every 12 minutes. Trump has taken this whole drone bomb bombing campaign in all these countries that Obama was administering as the drone king and ramped it up to unseen levels. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's what's so interesting about all these people who just want to continuously still talk about how all the Hillary Clinton bombings and Obama bombings, while if you care about bombings, then you should be also very upset that Trump has increased the bombings. So I just don't understand why barely anybody's talking about that. It's um, It just really, to me, goes to show how fucked our political dialogue is right now. Like just how many... Wrong, the wrong focus is going on Trump. It's literally concern trolling. There's no way that these people could care. Because, I mean, that premise alone, like if you, if you really thought Trump was an anti-interventionist candidate, then, I mean, come on. Well, it's like they've learned from Trump, you know? Like Trump would throw out things making Bush look awful for bombing all these people, you know? But Trump didn't really care. I mean, right. it is concern trolling. They've, they really have learned from the, one of the best concern trolls. You know, I mean, look how yeah. well con- Trump and, and Roger Stone concern trolled people into focusing on Bill Clinton being a sexual predator. All the while he, you know, went on, you know, hung out with Jeffrey Epstein, make jokes about how Jeffrey Epstein had a proclivity towards young women and then had raped his ex-wife and then was on tape saying, grab him by the pussy. I mean, he's he's a master manipulator. I'll give Trump that. I didn't know that someone could just become the most powerful person in the world by, by simply pointing out the hypocrisies of like the neoliberal establishment. But here we are. Well, yeah. I mean, it's powerful stuff though, because it's like they are, it is kind of low hanging fruit in a way because it's like, it's such glaring, horrible things that they've been part of. It's so sad. Yemen is horrible. Afghanistan is horrible. Um, We just need to get the hell out of there and negotiate with the Taliban and try to figure out some sort of recovery and and rebuilding efforts and actually again the broken windows policing but we apply it to everywhere in the world where you blame these people for their own misery death and destruction and then you just bomb the shit out of them and you're like oh well they're just barbaric it's like well yeah you you've not only propped up genocidal dictators in all of their countries and funded them so there's no self-determination but then you just bomb all of their entire communities for decades so I, I don't know what you think is going to happen or how these communities are ever going to get out of this cycle, but um, it should probably stop with bombing them. <laughs> I think we pretty much covered it all for this podcast. All right, you guys. Well, um, check out our Patreon account. Thank you so much for all of our donors. I, I checked it out today and I'm just really overwhelmed with all the support. Um, even the dollar uh, per episode really, really does help and it really inspires us to keep going. Yeah, thank you so much, everybody. We really um, appreciate all the support we've been getting. Yeah, it was really awesome to see all your guys' feedback on the last couple episodes, and that's what inspired us to get this one um, rolling out as quickly as possible. So let's let's keep it up, and thank you so much for listening. Um, we are in the process of getting our podcast up on a lot more networks and outlets so if you have an android we apologize for making it more difficult in the past but um we're going to increase all of the platforms very soon sign up for our newsletter on um, media roots if you don't ever want to miss an episode or you can 
actually subscribe on iTunes as well. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. Take care. <laughs>